Our first passage is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 19, and then also some verses from James chapter 3. We begin in Deuteronomy 19, verses 15 through 21. Nineteen fifteen through 21. A single witness shall not suffice against the person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he has had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Then we turn to the New Testament, letter of James, chapter 3, James 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we will guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So far, our scripture reading this afternoon. Let's read that Lord's Day together. Here we confess what is required in the ninth commandment. I must not give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. 
Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works, under the penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. After we have heard the proclamation of the word, we'll respond together by singing from Psalm 141, stanzas 1, 2, 4, and 8. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I'm sure you've heard that before. You've probably said it yourself. Perhaps as a little child, you even believed it sometimes. Nevertheless, nothing could be further from the truth. Words can hurt. They can really do a lot of damage, can't they? The person who says words can never hurt me is, is just putting on a tough face, right? a false bravado, a pretense. Sometimes we pretend that words don't hurt because we don't want others to see how much we are really hurting. However, that then in turn is also a lie, isn't it? Putting on a false front Pretending we are not who we are, that's a lie too, isn't it? So whether we lie about someone, we spread tales about someone, or we put on a false front, we're living a lie, aren't we? Bearing false witness about our neighbor or ourselves, dishonoring our neighbor or ourselves. And these are the kinds of things that are addressed in the Ninth Commandment. In the Ninth ninth Commandment, the Lord demands of us that we be true, that we be honest, and that we be sincere. He demands that we don't live under false pretenses, that we don't pretend to be someone we are not. In short, God demands that we love the truth and honor it. And that's the theme for the sermon this afternoon. God demands that we love the truth and honor it. We will consider in the first place that we must love, live in truth with God, we must live in truth with ourselves, and we must live in truth with our neighbor. So the demand to love the truth and honor it brings us to the very heart of the ninth commandment that you must not bear false witness against your neighbor. The language of the ninth commandment brings us right into the courtroom, doesn't it? To bear false witness against the neighbor is, is to stand as witness under oath before a judge and bring false testimony against someone in order to get that person condemned. Now, we might never end up going that far, but that kind of thing certainly happens. And bearing false witness before a judge, that's just an extreme example of what happens in our lives on a daily basis. Bearing false witness, that's something that occurs often and quite easily, something we overlook, perhaps something we don't even realize that is happening. And what is forbidden before a judge 
is also forbidden in all situations in life. All our communication must be characterized by truth. We must love the truth and honor it at all times. We must always be sincere and genuine and, and truthful. And in that way, we demonstrate who we truly are. But who can honestly do that? You see, this commandment is very necessary because there is no one who is completely truthful. Even the most truth-loving person, the most sincere and genuine person among us, doesn't always show themselves to be who they really are. There's always something fictional, something forced or insincere about our self-portrayal, about our self-witness. In all our relationships and communication, we are never really sincere or totally ourselves. We need to let that sink in for a moment because that's a truth that's really hard to accept, isn't it? And if we think that this isn't true, then we have not really allowed the word of God to shine its light into our hearts. His word tells us, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And who among us dares to say, I am perfect? Who among us dares to boast about always being sincere, always being genuine and truthful? And the fact of the matter is that none of us do this. You don't and I don't. And why is that? Well, in the first place, because we are not even completely truthful and honest with ourselves. We don't just fool others. We fool and deceive ourselves. We think so much better of ourselves than we ought to. Indeed, we're not even capable of being completely honest with ourselves. Sure, we're willing to admit that we're sinners. But at the same time, we always have this this innate urge to justify our every action. And that's because sin has destroyed our ability to be completely truthful, even with ourselves. And the bottom line is that we no longer stand in truth and sincerity over against God. We don't occupy that place in our relationship with God, which we once had. We lost it through rebellion and sin. And along with that position, we lost our values and our morals. So how can anyone still speak about strength of character? How can anyone yet boast about consistently being in tune with God's will? In light of God's word, we can only come to the conclusion that there is no consistent or truthful personality. If we cannot even tame our tongues, as James writes, we have to admit that our hearts must not be tamed either. So if we allow the word of God to shed its light in our lives, then we have to conclude with Paul, there is no one who does good, not even one. And when the light of God's word begins to show us up for who we are, then we will also begin more and more to see who God is. He is the rock who cannot be shaken. He is truth. His self-witness is always true and consistent. He's always true to himself. He's true to his word and to his covenant promises. His yes is always yes, and his no is always no. He cannot deny himself. 
and his commandments, they're sure, they're undisputable, and he never changes, and he always does what he says he will. He always makes his promises come true. So in light of what the scripture shows us about God, how can anyone yet boast about strength of character or pride themselves in being honest and forthright? In light of God's character, can we say that we truly love the truth and honor it? Can we claim to be proud of our integrity? No, brothers and sisters, in the light of God's word, we all stand guilty before him. We must admit that we are not faithful witnesses to the truth. We're not faithful witnesses even of ourselves. So do you see how this commandment then shows us to be wretched sinners? James speaks of taming the tongue, how impossible that is to do. And the Lord Jesus says elsewhere that out of the heart come evil thoughts. And before the tongue can be tamed, the heart must be tamed. And do you see then that this aspect of our lives also needs redemption through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ? You see how this commandment too calls for repentance. We need to recognize that if we want to live in line with the ninth commandment. And so we also then need to humble ourselves in the light of God's word. Under the preaching of God's word, it should, be any, it should be impossible for anyone to say, I can still live with a halo on my head. For under the preaching of the gospel and under the light of God's word, all our pretensions are stripped away. And the more we hang on to our pretensions, so much the less do we allow God's grace to be active in our lives. But God's intention with this commandment, congregation, is to bring us to the point where we humble ourselves before this truth. Of ourselves, we don't have characters that love the truth and honor it. No one can claim then that they are stronger than another. No one can claim to have some kind of innate virtue that he or she is born with. What we're born with is original sin. And that includes our inability to be truthful witnesses. The only way that we can receive the ability to love the truth is if we are reborn. Only when we are born of the Spirit can we regain the virtue of truth. By God's grace, Spirit-filled men and women and Spirit-filled boys and girls receive new characters. Characters that are willing to set aside pretensions for the sake of honoring the truth. And that is our only comfort, brothers and sisters, when it comes to honoring this commandment. Because when we, in the light of Scripture, when we recognize who God is, we recognize who we are, we recognize that we have nothing in ourselves, only then do we have hope. Because anyone who is humble before God, anyone who submits before him, will also be raised in Christ. When we stand before God as broken sinners, then he will renew us. We can trust him because he is the truth. That is the unchangeable one. And even though we must perish before his justice, only then can we be saved by his mercy?
And it is only because of his mercy and love that we also begin to live in truth with ourselves and with our neighbor. And so we come to the second point. We already heard that we're not even capable of being completely truthful and honest with ourselves. I'm sure we're all willing to admit that we're sinners. But at the same time, we always want to justify ourselves, don't we? Someone else's sins, they always look really big. But our own sins, well, those are just errors in judgment, are they not? And instead of living to please God, we crave the approval of others. And then what happens is we end up living according to human standards. We often try to achieve that by pretending to be someone else. And in this attempt to live for others, we often conceal who we are. Because we're afraid of rejection. And this in turn leads to inner turmoil and guilt. Because there's this constant inner battle going on that, that tells us we're not really who we are and who we should be. We're not really bearing witness to who we truly are. We're, we're constantly struggling with a guilty conscience. But this eventually leads to bitterness and resentment. Because we would rather be accepted for who we truly are. In all honesty, brothers and sisters, it's really scary, isn't it? It's a scary thing to look into our own hearts. If we would be completely honest with ourselves We would cower in shame and we would never admit any of our own faults, not even to ourselves, because admitting fault, well, that's tantamount to self-destruction. But it is only through the revelation of the gospel that we dare to look at ourselves. It is only in Christ that we dare to admit, no, I don't have a truthful character. I don't live in truth. I don't honor it. But in Christ we do. It is only in Christ that we can sing Psalm 15. Who can enter the courts of God? Only he who is truthful. Because Jesus Christ, he is the trustworthy rock of our salvation and the rock upon which we must stand and build our lives. You see, we are completely dependent on God for our trustworthiness and honor. To use the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, having been found in Christ, I do not have a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we find true life. And in him, we receive new characters, characters that live in truth, for he is truth. We can only find ourselves in Christ. We can only be honest with ourselves in Christ. We can only live in truth before God when we are in Christ. Christ's blood and sacrifice, it really exposes who we are without him. Christ had to die because we lived in the lie, as people who did not honor the truth and love it. But by his love and grace, we can be ourselves again. That is, we can be God's children once more. For in Christ... We find our place again, the place that we once lost through our rebellion, but which we regained through his obedience. And yes, there are many sins and 
sinfulness that clings to us in this life. Many pretenses, much skirting of the truth, little white lies, much necessity for daily forgiveness. But in Christ, our hearts are found to be in the truth once more. In him, our hearts once more have the foundation of the truth. And our hearts continue to seek the truth and to seek him. And then, then when the Lord uses his commandments to point out our sins, then we can say to him, yes, Lord, I love you. You know all things. You know that I love you. And when we confess that, when we dare to confess that, then we can also begin to build our lives again on the truth. Then we can also begin to be more honest with ourselves because Christ is at work in us to will and to do. And then, yes, it might seem like we constantly have to start over again, every day again. And we constantly have to repent Place, replace our lives on the firm foundation of grace in Christ because we so easily slip off of it. But that is how God's work in us makes progress. When we trust in him, then the truth comes back into our lives. And that truth will triumph. We know that, even though it is often denied here on earth. But we trust in our confession that we are children of God. And that brings us then to the third point, that we must also live in truth with our neighbor. It goes hand in hand with living in truth before God and with ourselves. And the opposite is true as well. When we're not truthful toward our neighbor and about our neighbor, that's only because we have not been truthful with God. We cannot defend and promote our neighbor's honor and reputation if, first of all, we don't live in honor and truth with God. In fact, it is in our relationships with our neighbors that our relationship with the Lord is revealed. Insofar as we live in truth with God, so far will we also live in truth with our neighbor. Or to say it differently, our relationship with God is revealed in our relationship with our neighbor. The ninth commandment, by calling me to live in truth with myself and with God, also calls me to see my brother and sister through the eyes of faith. I have to see myself as a member of the body of Christ. I don't belong to myself, but I belong to Christ and to his church. So our communion with one another, which was broken in the fall into sin, has been restored in Christ. And within this restored communion, we are then called to serve one another. And that leaves no place for false pretenses. That leaves no place for lip service, no place to justify our actions at the expense of others. It leaves no room for us to cover up our problems in order to maintain a veneer of respectability to pretend that everything's okay when inwardly we're crying. It leaves no place for us to keep a stiff upper lip so that we won't appear weak. Instead, there's only room to give, to serve, to pass on to others what we have received in Christ. 
That's the way to live in the truth. And then you don't act like the priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, they walked right by this man who was unconscious and bleeding at the side of the road. But you do as the Samaritan did. He acted like a man of truth because he acted in love. God doesn't want us to love like that priest and the Levite did. In fact, we were never created to be that way. People who constantly place themselves and others in certain positions or categories and are afraid to be contaminated by them, afraid to let themselves to be equal to others. What happens when we do that? We end up living the lie. We put on a front and we lie to each other about who we really are. But it is only God's grace that turns us into people who serve and bless each other in our prayers, in our words, in our actions. Then we become people who live in the truth and live with each other in the truth. Congregation, it is only God's grace that can destroy the sin of lying and falsehood in our lives and our relationships. And then we have to think about what our catechism talks about, what we confess here. I may not give false testimony, twist no one's words. I may not gossip or slander or condemn anyone rashly or without a hearing. I must avoid all lying and deceit. And then it, just, it doesn't help if we try to tackle these things outwardly. When we train our children, we don't tell them, you can't do that just because it's wrong. What good would that do? We all fall into these kinds of sins on a daily basis. We can't escape it. And so the problem needs to be tackled from the inside. We confess with our catechism that all lying and deceit are as the devil's own works. In other words, the man or woman, the boy or girl who lives in these sins stands in the service of the great deceiver. Our confession wishes to draw our attention to the sharp contrast between the one who lives in Christ and the one who lives for himself. Either I live in the service of the evil one, I live for myself, and my selfishness automatically leads me against, to sins against the ninth commandment, or I cast myself at the foot of the cross, and I humble myself for the sake of Jesus Christ, and so I become willing to serve the communion of saints in all truth. Only then can I win the battle against lies and falsehood. For in Christ I live in victory, even when I do fall. Something I can't avoid on this earth. But in Christ I may once more stand honestly before God's throne and before my neighbor. I am a sinner, but a forgiven sinner. And in that light, I can also serve my neighbor, especially the neighbor who stands before God in the same light as I do. And so the victory over sin must come from the heart. Otherwise, how can you stand strong enough to avoid any pretension? Or how could you stand strong enough to avoid that little white lie and save your pride? Or how could you stand strong enough to avoid deceiving someone in a business deal, perhaps? How could you stand strong enough to realize the communion of saints is only served by truth? Victory over sin comes only from the inside out by faith in the God of truth. And only when we live from the truth 
can we also love it and honor it. Only then can we serve each other in all sincerity. Only then will our communion with others be a blessing. Only then will we be true servants of the Most High God. Only then will we love our neighbor as ourselves. Brothers and sisters, may God preserve us all for service in his love, in our service to him and to each other. Amen.